Good morning. Welcome to World Mission Sunday. That short video you just saw is from back-to-back ministries. There are gospel partners in Mazatlan, Mexico. Back-to-back is spending their lives pouring into the orphans living there. They aren't simply interested in meeting the physical needs of the orphan child. They're loving them unconditionally. They're creating opportunities to share the gospel with them. They're raising them up as disciples, and they're sending them out into the world fully equipped. And we call them our partners in ministry because we're both committed to reaching the same goal, and that's seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to the ends of the earth. Now, after partnering with them a little over a year ago, we've committed to sending groups of people to support them. We're supporting them through, through financial contributions and sending of supplies, and most importantly, we're supporting them through regular prayer. Now, Back to Back recognizes that we're committed to spreading the gospel right here in Georgetown, Texas. So they support us through prayer and discipleship. Last summer, we got to send our first team of people to Back to Back. We sent 16 people, and each and every one of our lives were, were forever impacted by our experiences that we spent there. Everyone there described reaching a spiritual peak in their lives. And I continue to see God making changes in their lives each and every day. We're all praying bigger than we've ever prayed before. Many have begun discipleship relationships. Some have created new businesses or found other ways to make extra money so they can support missions both locally and globally. And it's all because they said yes to spending one week with Back to Back in Mexico. So if you're new here, I'd like to give a quick disclaimer. My name is Jared Bush. I'm not the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. That's Pastor Charlie. Um, He's actually serving in children's ministry today. Um, He does a great job of shepherding this church. I'm part of the global missions team here. And today is a great testament to Pastor Charlie's commitment to discipleship as he would allow me to stand up here and speak. I think it's easier for him to prepare a sermon himself and deliver it than it is to try to guide me and my scattered mind through this whole ordeal. Um, But he's committed to developing leaders in this church. It's also a testament to the type of church family we have. You guys are loving and merciful as you would tolerate me standing up here once or twice a year. So thank you. Over the past few months, Pastor Charlie's been leading us through Hebrews 11 as we look at the heroes of faith. We're going to take a break from Hebrews 11 today, and we're going to look at another group of men that were sent out by faith. Now, over a, for over a year now, we've been meeting at 10.02 on Sunday mornings, and that's in reference to Luke 10.2, which says, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest. We're going to take a closer look at that passage today to see what that means for us. Let's start with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather today and hear from your word. God, I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of you speaking to these people today. I pray that I wouldn't add to your word or subtract from it. I pray that we um, don't change what we hear based on our personal biases, but that we hear truth from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So follow along with me. We're going to turn to Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. And they'll, they'll put it up on the screen for you. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, 
The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they have to offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The first thing we can't help notice in this passage is Jesus is sending them out into the mission field. Is he's telling them to be prayerful. That brings us to our first main point. Missions are filled with prayer. The mission before them was so important just as our mission is today. We know Jesus' heart for the lost, right? It's clearly demonstrated. He chose to come down from heaven into this sinful world where he was mocked and beaten and hung on a cross where he bore the wrath of his own father for the redemption of our souls. Do you have the same heart for the lost people of the world today? The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. In 2016, the population of Georgetown, Texas was about 67,140 people. Now, out of all those people, only about 14,700 are connected to a gospel-centered church. The population of the world today is 6.9 billion people. Over 4 billion of those people have not secured their place in heaven. The mission before them was not one that could be done by human strength. So prayer was an absolute must. Our mission is rendered useless without asking for direction and power from the Holy Spirit through prayer. A good friend of mine gave me this quote. It says, Too often, a ministry or mission has been defeated not by laziness, but prayerlessness. Another thing we should notice as Jesus is sending them out is he doesn't, he doesn't designate some to, go, some to pray and some to go. No, they are all praying as they are all going. We are called to be laborers, not spectators, to pray for more laborers. Each and every one of us has an active part to play in the mission to reach the world with the gospel. For some of us, that will mean packing up our families and, removing, and moving to a remote part of the world. For others, it will mean equipping other men, women, and children to be sent out. But for all of us, it means we start by sharing the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our school, in our job, where we live, work, and play. I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make as Christians is we think when we put our trust in Jesus that that's the end of our journey, right? We think, all right, I've arrived. I've secured my place in heaven. That's it. 
When in fact, when we put our trust in Jesus, it's the start of a new life in Christ. And that life has a mission. The minute we put, we accept the free gift of salvation, we are commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. I, think, I can't think of a greater honor than to be commissioned by God himself. And I don't want you to look and think of God as some, someone standing up in heaven just hoping we'll help him, just begging that we'll help him because he can't do it himself. No, God is holy and God is all-powerful. God created the heavens and the earth and every single person on this planet and he has chosen us to help execute his plan to reach the world with the gospel. We are his plan A. And as far as I can tell, there is no plan B. The harvest is abundant. The workers are few. The task is overwhelming. The message has the power to raise people from the dead. Prayer is a must, and sitting on the sidelines is not an option. When it comes to missions, there are three types of people. There are those who will go, there are those who will send, and there are those who are disobedient. Let's look back at the passage and see the next part. This is the scary part. If the sheer magnitude of the mission at hand doesn't force you to your knees in prayer, this part might. Let's pull up the passage again. And the last part here, it starts in verse 3. Jesus says, hey guys, we're going to grab some breakfast tacos. We're going to go back to Todd's place and we're going to jam out and we're going to wait till somebody knocks on our door and asks about Jesus, a.k.a. this guy, right? It's going to be awesome. No. He says, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. It doesn't exactly elicit, elicit a warm, fuzzy response, does it? Personally, if I got to choose, I'd choose the breakfast tacos breakfast taco option. So I was raised on a farm in South Dakota. My family, we didn't raise sheep, but my closest neighbor, Daryl, did. And it was simply expected that you would lose some sheep to the the coyotes, right? We didn't have wolves. We had coyotes. They're like the slower, weaker, um, dumber cousin to the coyote. But they would come in at night and they would literally tear some of the sheep to pieces, Right, because sheep are completely defenseless to coyotes or wolves. The sheep had to fully rely on Daryl for their protection. Now, we don't have Daryl to protect us, but who do we have? We've got God. Now, Daryl was this old guy with bad knees that drove around in a beat-up tr- pickup truck with a gun rack in the back. So if I have the choice, I'm going to put my money on God. Right? But why would Jesus say something like that right before they go out on a mission, right? That doesn't, it's not a very good pep talk. But Jesus has never been one to skirt around the truth, has he? Jesus was being completely honest with them. Because going out into the world to share the gospel is a scary and dangerous calling. You guys will have doors slammed in your face. You may be spit on. You may be cursed. Brace yourselves for this one. You may be unfriended on Facebook. (laughs) 
Every year, men and women are martyred in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus says it all right here in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. You see, the world hates the one we serve. And he went out into the world as the Lamb of God, giving them the gift of peace and love. We are to share that same gift of peace and love. If we are to go out as lambs into a world of wolves, it will take faith in God to be our protector, which brings me to the second main point. Missions are led by faith. Have you ever noticed that God has a history of calling us out into scary, uncertain, and uncomfortable situations? Let's look at Moses. Moses fled Egypt because he murdered a man. Moses was terrified of public speaking. What does God do? God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to stand in front of Pharaoh and demand that he let my people go. Now, Moses was reluctant, and he grumbled, and he didn't want to do it. But eventually, Moses stepped out in faith. What was his reward? His reward was he got to go to the top of that mountain and be in the presence of God. Jesus knew there was a storm coming when the disciples got into that boat. Peter literally had to take a step in faith when the storm was raging and Jesus was walking towards them on the water. He stepped out of the safety of that boat into the storm. What the result was, Peter walked on water. About five years ago, my wife Devin and I were called to move to Georgetown to help plant a church, this church, with a group of people we had never met before in our lives. Now, we had zero experience planting churches. We barely had experience going to church, so it took a step of faith for us to do that. Our reward was a closer relationship with God as we had to rely on his strength. You see, God calls us into uncomfortable situations because we can no longer rely on our strength, and we are forced to rely on his strength as we step out in faith. A few weeks ago, um, before I started preparing this message, I was sitting at my house and I had a terrifying realization that my life had, begun, begotten, had gotten to be comfortable. Yeah, I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, boo-hoo, poor guy. His life's comfortable, right? But listen to this. Comfortable is comfortable. We like comfortable, right? We have a nice house and a secure neighborhood, We've got a good job that we've been doing for a long time, so we're familiar with it. We have a stable marriage. Maybe we have some children. Those are my boys. Um, We just welcomed Silas to the world a few weeks ago. Um, Maybe you're part of a good church where you can go, and the sermons aren't too long on Sunday morning, so you're happy with that, right? And then we just hit cruise control, right? We find security We find accomplishment in the things that we surround ourselves with. We feel safe and content, and we just cruise. Next thing you know, maybe we stop going to church on Sunday morning because it's 
uncomfortable getting out of bed and getting the family ready. Maybe we stop going to a community group because it's uncomfortable talking about our personal lives. Maybe we stop giving because it makes us uncomfortable to look at our budget and see that money not not being there anymore. Maybe we stop talking to our neighbors because that can be pretty uncomfortable. The next thing you know, we stop listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit altogether because he's got a history of calling us out of our comfort zones. You know what frightens me more than anything? It's living a life where I no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Believe me, I've spent a lifetime trying to find joy and purpose in the things of this world. Some of them good and some of them not so good. But nothing, nothing of this world can give us the same joy and purpose as walking closely with God. Walking into a world filled with wolves isn't something we can do unless we walk by faith. Now I want you to notice this. Jesus reinforces the, walk, the need to walk by faith by not allowing them to take any personal belongings with him. Did you notice that? They are to fully rely on God for both their protection and their provision. Last summer, as we prepared to send our first mission team to Mazatlan, um, back-to-back asked me, how many people we wanted to put on the trip. And they asked me this like 10 months before we went. And I thought, man, I've got no idea. Um, So I prayed about it, and God told me 16 people, which I thought was crazy because we're such a small church, and last summer we sent exactly zero people on a mission trip. But as the time came, God provided exactly 16 people to go on this trip. Now, the people he sent... (laughs) Hardly any of them had been on a mission trip before. Some of them had never left the country. Of the 16 people, two knew how to speak Spanish. None of us had an extra $1,500 laying around to cover the expenses of the trip. I think Sylvia and Kendall Mason, they didn't even have their passports until about a week before we left. So naturally, there was fear and doubt leading up to this trip. In fact, I personally had to face one of my darkest fears while on this trip. I had to interact with teenage girls. (laughs) Don't judge me. Nobody knows how to interact with teenage girls. But as the time came, guess who was faithful? God was, as he always is. He came through in a huge way. Our team was fully funded and fully equipped for the mission ahead of us. And he used other faithful believers to make it happen through prayer, financial support, and donations of supplies. Then there's this guy. His name is Grant. Um, He's the captain for Florida Air, and it's the home for at-risk preteen and teenage girls. Now, as you can tell, Grant is nothing special, right? Grant did not have any special training as a missionary. He didn't grow up in a missionary family. This guy and his wife were living in Cincinnati where he worked as a school teacher. They had two small children. I'm pretty sure he was hanging out every day in board shorts because that's all we ever saw him wear in Mexico. When they decided to take a small step, 
and they decided to sign up for Financial Peace University. And by applying what they had learned from Dave Ramsey, they were able to eliminate all of their debt, and it freed them up to do more things. And then they read a book called Radical by David Platt. And at the end of that book, it recommends small steps that you can take in faith. And one of those was to take a short-term mission trip. So they packed up and they ended up on a week-long trip to Mazatlan, Mexico with back-to-back. Well, taking small steps can sometimes lead to much bigger steps. Eighteen months later, Grant and his wife packed up their belongings and their children and they moved to Mexico full-time to work with back-to-back, to pour into the lives of the orphan child there. See, there's nothing special about this man. All he did was take a few steps of faith. In fact, while we were there last summer, they were taking another step in faith, and they were in the process of adopting a special, a special needs child from Nicaragua. Remember, God calls some to go and others to send. The reward for those that step out in faith is a life-changing experience as we draw near to God through faith. Let's look back at this passage to see what else we can learn. If you'll pull that up um, and move it to the next slide. All right, it says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Here's our third main point. There is urgency to the mission. Right? One of the reasons Jesus didn't want them to take any belongings was because he wanted them to fully rely on God's provision. Faith. The other reason is he didn't want them to have any delay. He's telling them, go. Don't mess around packing your bags and don't greet anyone on the road. You have so much work to do and there's no time to spare. At that time, for Jewish people to greet each other on the road was quite a lengthy ordeal and Jesus didn't want them to waste any time because lives were at stake. That hasn't changed one bit today. On average, 153,425 people die daily worldwide. Over two-thirds of them don't claim Jesus as their source of salvation. Every single person on this planet is an immortal being. Sure, our bodies are temporary, but our souls are created to live forever, either in heaven or hell. That means the lady that's holding you up at the checkout line at HEB, you know, that's one that's paying with a check, she has an immortal soul. Those kids that you see on the internet that are taking the Tide Pod Challenge, even they have immortal (laughs) souls. Here's the really scary part. The default location... It's not heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to eternal life in heaven, and we are called to carry the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. What an honor it is to get to be part of something with such a measurable power. Here's the refreshing part. 
we aren't responsible for the results. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 again. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Okay, so what Jesus doesn't say to them is go out and tell the people to repent and turn to God, and whoever gets the most people to do so, I'm giving season tickets to the Denver Broncos. That's a pretty big deal. Whoever gets the least amount of people to do so, I'm kicking them off my team. No. He tells them to go ahead of him as his ambassadors, and he would follow to perform the miracle of raising people from the dead. The same is true for us today. We don't have the power to raise people from the dead. Only God can do that. Putting our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior has to be led by the Holy Spirit. God simply asks us to be his ambassadors by the way we love and serve and by the gospel message we share. Finally, let's skip a few verses to verse 17 for our last point. Missions are gospel-centered. Missions are gospel-centered. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus had given them the powers to perform great miracles, but they were no comparison to having their names written in heaven. The Greek word translated written means to inscribe formally and solemnly. It was used for the signing of a will, a marriage document, a peace treaty, or for the enrolling of a citizen. As wonderful as their miracles were, the greatest miracle of all is still the salvation of a lost soul. Each one of us has been gifted with unique gifts and talents that we can use to serve God and to change the world. I've personally been on several mission trips, and on these trips I've been able to take part in planning churches, providing medical care for people that have zero access to care. I've performed surgery in makeshift operating rooms. I've helped build homes for orphans. Just ask them how hard I worked in that house. And it's easy to get caught up in these things, right? They're good things. We're supposed to do these things. But one important thing that I've learned, we can give people the greatest gift this world has to offer. But if we don't share the gospel, we've completely failed them. There was a young man who went for a job interview for position as an usher at a movie theater. As the interview interview progressed, the manager asked him, 
What would you do if a fire broke out in a packed movie theater? The young man replied, don't worry about me. I'm sure I'll get out just fine. Isn't that how we often are as Christians? We are completely confident in our salvation and we are content watching so many others suffer. You don't have to look very far to see that this world is on fire. And there's only one way of escape. Will you stand by from a safe distance or will you spend your life returning to the flames to help drag others to safety? Let's talk about next steps. The first thing you guys can do is commit to praying. Commit to doing it now. Pray for the lost in your neighborhoods, at your jobs, at your schools. Pray for the world. Pray for our partners in Mazatlan as they continue to pour into the lives of those orphans. Pray for our team that we're assembling to go. Maybe you're called to send. Volunteer in the children's ministry. Volunteer in the youth ministry to help build others up to be sent out. Financially support someone that you know that's going on the mission trip this summer. Sponsor one of the kids, one of the orphans with back-to-back. Maybe God's whispering in your ear that he would have you go. Take a small step in faith and agree to spend one little week in Mazatlan, Mexico, and just wait and see what he does with your life. I'll make it really easy for you. Tomorrow night at Hat Creek, we're having a fundraiser. So you show up at Hat Creek in Georgetown from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, buy a tasty burger, put the receipt in the bucket, and 10% of the proceeds will go to help support our mission trip this summer. It doesn't get much easier than that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would allow us to be part of your plan to reach the world with the gospel. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Mazatlan who are day after day are pouring into the lives of these orphans. We pray that you give them endurance. We pray that you give them abundant love to show these children. We pray for the orphans there that have been abused or abandoned or neglected We pray that through the care they receive there, that they understand that they are worth something to you, that they are loved by the God of the universe. We pray for our team that will go this summer. We pray that you will provide people that will faithfully and humbly go. God, we pray that you would work in our lives, that you would speak to us and guide us and help us to become part of your mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.